There we go, that's better. Now we're recording on both. Eat the rest of your popcorn, don't worry. You're in my wrong hand. It's because you glued to your more, phone. I've got you more dexterity. Sh- you sheeple. I'm just reading some of um, the, co- the comments about our podcast. Mm. Some of of the many podcast comments that we get on on our platform that doesn't allow comments. Yeah, they're interesting. Mm. Um, Well, people really like the... um, People really like the the Jacksperations (laughs) from last time. From last time. Okay. Duncan says, I felt better. Well, that's that's pretty much what you're going for. I mean, that's 100% um, positive affirmation of, of the entire concept, which is good as, yeah. a, as, a, as a start point. Do you want another one? Is it specifically around the Jaspiration? Because yes, yes, I would. Okay. Um, opportunity dances with those who are already on the dance floor. Uh, see, Jaspiration. as somebody who will always get on the dance floor at a wedding... Even when there's no one else there, I, I I attest to that. You always feel better when you're already on the dance floor. Yeah. You don't get that moment where there's a few people on the dance floor and you're thinking, is it the time to get up? You're already there. Mm. You're already enjoying the music. You don't have to worry about whether this song is something you can dance to. You, you're up there with Matty Snake Hips. Yeah. And you're just loose dancing hips. away. <laughs> loose Hips. Matty Loose Hips and you, you're dancing away. You're in the zone. You don't care. See? Yeah. That's for you, Duncan, from Surrey. From Surrey. Get it, dunks. Hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser-known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... So this story, this university-adjacent story, takes place... Well, it doesn't take place. It's... it's well, does it... Yeah, it all takes place. Do you place. want 10 minutes to look for your notes? No, this story definitely takes place, I'm, I'm co- confident now, in the late Middle Ages, <laughs> which I don't think is an era we've gone to together before. No, we've gone... Where have we you've, gone? You've stuck Stewards? mainly Victorian. I think you've had one or two that have moved out of Victorian into Georgian, but I don't think you've actually gone to the late Middle Ages before. So, your three words, which hopefully this time will give you a clue. If I know, if you know what they mean, yeah. Town, yeah. Gown, and wine. Say it again. Town, gown, wine. Um, I I have no clue. Okay, no, no worries. It will all become clear. Gown. The fog of confusion. People get these. Yeah, the fog of confusion for you will lift to expose the sweet crystal serenity of the lake of knowledge. Are these clues? No. We will, in this story, as I've said, get to the late Middle Ages. But first, some background, because the one thing people love is background knowledge to set the scene. Oxford began life literally as an Oxford, where beasts of burden could cross a river. A settlement was eventually founded there in 912 CE, common era, by order of Alfred the Great. And he was great, wasn't he? I know Alfred the Great. Yeah. Uh, It was um, founded as a fortified settlement to control the Upper Thames and its junction with the River Cherwell. And it acted as a frontier town between Wessex, which Alfred controlled, and Mercia, 
which was another of the kingdoms of Britain at the time. Okay, so it was also prone to being raided, unfortunately, this new little town of Oxford, twice by Vikings, who burned it to the ground for good measure, and then again by the invading Normans. Though the Normans did eventually rebuild the town and even added a castle in 1071. Do they wait for you to rebuild it before they burn it again? I think you've got to give people a chance, haven't Otherwise you? Otherwise, it doesn't really have much effect the second time. No, I mean, I, I, I don't think people are as annoyed if you do it while they're in the early stages of planning Yeah. as they would be. You know, I think if you want to break someone's spirit, you wait for them literally to put the final sort of turret... You put you know, that, that, they put that, the weather vane on yeah, top of the final say, turret. The, cockerel, the weather vane cockerel on top of the on top of the church, and that line. is when you all break cover from the trees and run at it with flaming torches. And like, oh no, it's <laughs> happening again. Ah, but we made it from brick. Mm. Yeah, with thatched roofs. Damn, <laughs> you could just burn all the roofs. It'll be fine. So the Normans added a castle in 1071 under the governor Robert de Oyley. De Oily. Yes. Or Doily. <laughs> well, whichever you want. You can either call him Robert De Oily or Robert Doily. You want him to be Robert Doily, don't you? I, I prefer De Oily. Okay. Robert De Oily. A thriving town by this stage, with no soldiers needing to be garrisoned in the nice new castle, De Oily decided it was a shame for the building to be left empty. So, being a nice guy and a very sort of God-fearing Christian. A God-fearing Christian fellow. He allowed a small monastic community to set themselves up inside. And that was when things started to really go wrong for the people of Oxford. Forget the fact that it was being burnt down regularly. Allowing the monks in was the worst thing that could have happened to them. Are they, are they untidy? No, it's, it started off innocently enough. With the clerics in the castle starting to offer some lessons to local nobility in order to keep themselves fed and clothed. Then, in 1139, Geoffrey of Monmouth completed his great work, History of the Kings of Britain. As you can imagine, to this point it's slightly out of date, but up until that it was cutting edge. Had a lot of nice things to say about William the Conqueror, as I'm sure you can imagine, being that they were in a Norman castle I at the time. Imagine. Uh, This popular work confirmed to the well-to-do of England that Oxford was the place to be if you wanted to learn about facts and stuff. And the amount of students flooding in increased significantly after 1167, when King Henry II... Wait, what are students looking like at that point? uh, When I say students, what you're talking about are the sons of nobility who need to learn, um, you know... The basics of how to rule. They need to know the classics. They need to be learned in mathematics and all the things that they'd need to be able to, you know, continue to run and lord the country. Um, So King Henry II banned English students in 1167 from attending the University of Paris. So a lot of the well-to-do, especially considering, you know, the links between Normandy, everyone was speaking French, so it, it made sense for the nobility to go to Paris to study right but king henry ii trying to break that link because he was the duke of normandy and he was also king of england he wanted you know to separate himself from the french he forced all the people who would normally go to paris to basically learn in england so suddenly oxford being pretty much the only place you could go to get an education suddenly had a big influx of students it is fair to say 
that the rural townspeople and the academics who'd suddenly rocked up didn't exactly get along. With the locals living in relative poverty while watching well-to-do TOF students carousing and flaunting their wealth. Uh, the combustible nature of the situation was perfect. Are the monks there as well? Uh, well, the, the monks are there, but they've basically transferred into the role of um, teachers and tutors. Because oh, right. that's how they're making their money and able to you know, keep the, the monastery going. Have they um, got like bald head thing? I don't know if they had the pate exposed like that now. Didn't they rub it with like a rock? I imagine they just shaved it. I, you know, shaving was a thing. You could shave at the time. There wasn't the ability to do that. So I'll go in the rock rub. If it makes you happy. Although I have to point out that's not historical fact. That's Jack musing. So, the combustible nature of the situation perfectly demonstrated in 1209 when one of the students got into bother with a local girl. Little spot of bother. Oh. Now, reports suggest she was either a prostitute, yeah. his mistress, or his landlady. Although technically... Could be all three. Yeah, she could have been all three. Or a mix. Or none. Or none. Either way, as students are wont to do, he woke up with what we can assume was a monster hangover and realised he'd accidentally killed her. <laughs> it happens. I mean, you've, like I say, you've been to university, I've been to university. Sometimes you wake up next to a dead person. Being of noble bearing, he immediately skipped town. Though critically, he had not let the other three students he was living with know about the dead body in their student accommodation. Oh God, it's just festering. Uh, I imagine him literally skipping away. <laughs> not my problem anymore. Back to wilder privilege I go. Yeah. Um, as a result, when the mayor and the townspeople of Oxford found the body and couldn't find the suspected culprit, they decided one student's as good as another and they threw the three housemates in jail for the crime. Oh, poor bastards. I imagine they were complicit. I I like to think that they weren't even in the house at the time. That's why he'd taken his prostitute landlord um, and how, wife mother how to bed. How were the authorities made aware of this dead woman? Well, the, I, one the, of them again, must have said we don't know. It, it probably one of them going. I can't find the landlady. Can you can you tell me where my landlady's got to? It's time for breakfast, and she's not made my breakfast. And they came round to help, found her, and went, oh, 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 oh dear. You did this, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, I've never said. Why would I ask you to find her if I'd done? It's not going to go well for you, son. Um, throwing the three of them in jail, of course, ridiculous. Yeah, no, and you could just lead them in. Yeah, and three days later. <laughs> brilliant three days later king john himself interceded to sort things out so he turned up he ordered that to sort this mess out the three innocent students be taken outside the city to be hung without delay oh <laughs> yeah. i thought he was coming in to help oh yeah he sorted it out and as a result of this really condoned lynching a number of academics and students decided that they needed to leave oxford quick smart before it happened to them and found a new place to set up. It's not Cambridge. They chose a little town about 80 miles to the east called Cambridge. And that is the story of the founding of Cambridge University. <laughs> Cowards. <laughs> it, it came about due to, due to a dead woman. Christ. Uh, yep. And a lynching. So 
what better foundation to build your I would academic... be the vanguard of that troop running, <laughs> running away and away we go <laughs> you can learn anywhere I've got that I've got that um, that face that feels you know when someone comes in the room like who ate my pudding I immediately you can't help but look guilty yeah I always look guilty but to be fair that, that... or I overcompensate and go I don't even like pudding <laughs> or what is pudding <laughs> To be fair, the majority of the scholars they, they did the not pudding. do the <laughs> they did not do the cowardly thing. The majority of the scholars decided to stay, and the ill feeling continued. Right. Students occasionally murdered townspeople, and townspeople occasionally murdered students. Uh, and by 1327, things had gotten so bad that the feud had even been given a snappy nickname: Town versus Gown. That is great. Yeah. I never, I, I didn't know the history of Cambridge and Oxford. Mm. There was no way I was going This, I don't think anyone's ever had the three words and guessed the story. I bet somebody will with this one. And they will let us know. Okay. Yeah. How do they get in touch? They get in touch via Carrier Pigeon. Um, actually, we do have an email address. Um, it's consistently eccentric at gmail.com I don't think I've ever mentioned that before so I've got your number here Joe. that's good do not 074270794634 well that's getting cut anyway so it's not <laughs> change one number guess which it's um the three in the end so um I'm not going to say are you going to beep it no, I'm not going to say that the altercations were always started by the students of the university. That would be unfair. But even when not fighting with the people of the town, which continued to occur regularly, riots within the university itself were recorded in 1252, 1267, 1273, 1314. The last one when at least 39 students committed murder or manslaughter, though only seven of these were arrested. Why is it? Why is there so many murders? I do not know, but it kept happening, and the students were continually rioting. I don't know what they were rioting about or against. Were people just generally more frail? I think people were generally more able to access swords and weapons, <laughs> which isn't a good thing when you've got students involved. Because, like I said, they were out carousing. This may be the late Middle Ages, but they were going to the pub to get absolutely lashed in exactly the same way you would expect a student to these days. Right. The only difference being... They had a dagger. They didn't have a fist fight. They had daggers and swords. Um, And a particularly bad series of riots that spanned from 1333 to 1334. So over the course of a year now, we're turning the calendar and still rioting. A number of academics... It's, it's, history just repeats itself with different equipment. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I don't know what the frog in my throat was. <laughs> he was, he was concurring. Um, a number of academics again fled following the 1334 riots. Cowards. Taking with them... In my head then, I was, you said concurring, and my brain went concurmiting. And that's a very bad joke, so... We'll we'll move on from your shame. It's hell living with me. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> I can take you in small doses when we do this. So these academics. I've got, to, I've got to. I've got to. Sorry. I've got to suppress these thoughts through the day with normal humans. 
the inference there being that I'm not a normal human. Thank you. Well, I shared a room here. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you are. I've seen your true face, Joe. So, th- again, we had some cowardly academics who fled, but this time they took with them the door knocker from Brasnose College or Brasnose College. Is it gold or something? Well, it was cast as some weird Jim Henson Muppet-style face holding the ring in its teeth. So if you imagine that scene from the start of um, Muppet's Christmas Carol where Statler or Waldorf, can't remember which one, becomes the face on the door knocker. It's rude! Um, Like that, only in brass. Uh, This was done by the... Because why would the academics steal it? Well, I'll tell you. It was done in protest as traditionally any student who had engaged in rioting could grab the knocker and claim sanctuary. So it's an early form of barley. Oh, wow. So if if you were in a lot of shit and they were coming after you, you could grab the nose of this brass door knocker and say, no, 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 you can't touch me. I've got sanctuary now. Oh, you know you know that feeling? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think of a game you played as a kid. It's like British Bulldogs where you finally got to one side or the other. And it's like... <laughs> you get I'm so there. excited. I'm there. We used to play... Um, it's bad that we used to play this, what it was called this, but it was called German Bastards. Right. And it was like British Bulldog. Um, but you'd, ha- you'd have to beat a-, a passcode out of the other team and you could use like sticks and just wail on people. It sounds less like um, a game and more like a hate crime. <laughs> you just... <laughs> You we'll put play, up some we'll, frippery of a game around it to allow you to beat up people you didn't we'll like. We played once, and like this this lad called Dale Allison. He's not listening. And he's, he's, we're playing, and then I'm like 13, and then his dad comes out and help, like joins the game. His, his 43 year old dad. That is weird. Although the fact that you played these games means that you were Oxford material. You sh- you went to the wrong university. <laughs> Join um, that in. So you could grab this brass door knocker to claim sanctuary. And in fact, the name of the college was a direct reference to the fact that this had happened so often that the students had rubbed the brass finish off the nose of the thing. So they were claiming sanctuary for rioting so often that they had defaced the knocker with the amount of times they'd gripped it. The re- the restraint hmm. of the other people to be like, oh no, he's touched the... Well, well I think it's because... Did they have another door with like... I, I have knocking. no, no. As far as I know, it was just a case of they all sort of thought, well, there's probably going to become a time in the future when it's me grabbing for that brass knocker, and I'm going to hope to God everybody follows the rules then. So I'm going to grudgingly allow it this time, you know. Sort of like what goes around comes around. And I need to. They're like the rule is so set they won't break it, mm. so they have to steal it. Yeah, they stole <laughs> the the academics left and stole the brass knocker. Like you, you guys aren't getting away with this again. Yeah. There's no sanctuary for you, um. So. When the academics who'd fled were told by Edward III to man up and were forced to return to the university by the king, you will educate these children. (laughs) You will educate these teenage hellions. Um, They crucially did not bring the knocker back with them. Consequently, if students wanted sanctuary between 1355 and 1890, when it was finally returned, they would have had to have run all the way to Stamford in Lincolnshire um, in order to claim the sanctuary. And it would take around 24 hours to run that distance if you didn't sleep. How many people made it? As far as I know, none. Mm-hmm. It wasn't used to claim sanctuary between those dates at all. 
because nobody i think not a lot of the students knew where it had ended up firstly which is quite an issue if you're going to try and use it and secondly you'd probably rather take a beating than run for 24 (laughs) hours to lincolnshire either way your body is taking a beating yeah it's just whether it's self-inflicted or inflicted by others that's your choice at that point but all of the riots to this point all these fun little jaunts they were just the students of oxford training themselves up they wanted to be sure that when the big day came they would be ready for a riot to end all riots or a super riot if you will i i will okay so it's 1355. Is this the start of the boat race? Is this where we're going? What was the last? I can Town, ha- gown and... Wine. Fines. Wine. We, it's not the boat race, okay? There's, there's, I don't think there's any body of water involved in this. We've, we've mentioned the Thames. We've mentioned the River Cherwell. That's it. You don't need any more water. Right. So, it's 1355. The last round of riots have been quelled. The academics are back, but the knocker is not. And it is early February... In fact, it's Tuesday, the 10th of February, which just so happens to be... Gallows Day. St. Scholastica Day. Of course. You know that. St. Scholastica being an Italian nun in the 5th century who was able to control the weather. Yeah. Obviously, because she could control the weather, she became the patron saint of education and convulsive children because a lot of patron saints, they don't just get one thing, they get a few. Is, is, is that... A- like a child with epilepsy. Yeah, essentially. Season. So she was okay. she was the patron saint of education and epileptics. Um, but for the students of Oxford... Such a weird mix. It, since Glasgow Day was a great excuse to go out into the town to get drunk and rowdy, which I'm sure since Scholastica herself would have readily approved of. Yeah. That her, her day was not spent in quiet contemplation or academic rigour. It was spent getting absolutely ratted. You drink to seizure in the rain. Yeah, that's that's what she'd really want. Yeah. And then get struck by lightning to <laughs> yeah. to um, save you from status epilepticus. Uh, a group of students were drinking in the Swindlestock Tavern. Great name for a tavern. Which just so happened to be owned by the mayor of Oxford. Because again, you've got to have two jobs, much like since Glasgow herself. You can't just have your finger in one pie of politics. You've also got to be a... So you're a, a, you're a mental a health owner. nurse. I'm not. Oh, what are you? A learning disabilities nurse. What's your side hustle? This. It is, isn't it? It is this. <laughs> you mean, what do I spend all my time when I'm not nursing or looking after my family doing? This. Writing these, recording these, editing these. How many more rupees do you need before you can convert it to English money? <laughs> I've not received any money for this. This is a labour of love. Uh, so we've got a group of students drinking in the mayor of Oxford's pub, the Swindlestock Tavern. It was busy with a mix of academics and locals, as you'd expect, on a random Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, Two for Tuesdays. Yeah, you've got to get in there. Um, one of the men from the university, a clergyman called, and I swear to God I'm not making this up, Walter de Springhues. De Springhues. But I re- read it and I'm going to continue to... Could I try and read it? No. Oh. Because then you'll read what happens next, and I don't want to give that away. But um, I read it as Walter de Springyhoos. But what what in my mind it converts to is Walter the Springy Hose. So I'm going to call him Springy, Springy Hose. Hose. Okay? okay. I realise that's the wrong pronunciation. It's just easier, and it makes me giggle. <clears throat> so Springy Hose complained that the wine he had drunk the majority of, and I think it's important to note he drunk most of it by the time that he came to this conclusion. 
he decided it was too weak. Uh, and he demanded another drink from the barman, mm. obviously without paying. So basically he wanted a free drink from the barman. Uh, the barman decided to ignore the complaint and got back to serving the people, asking for real drinks like ale. So I'm, I'm assuming he turned away from the foppish student clergyman and went to the local farmers and, you know, business owners of Oxford. Yeah, he knows the, he knows the name. Yeah. He's met the wife. Yeah, those people that he actually likes serving. Yeah, yeah. Um, to Springy Hughes, he continued to complain until the barman decided to use, and this is a direct quote from the annals that I read, stubborn and saucy language. How do you spell annals? A-N-N-A-L-S, I think. I, I'm not very good at spelling. You don't learn spelling at university. So he used stubborn and saucy language. I don't don't quite know what constituted stubborn and saucy. Stubborn and saucy. Mm. But he used it to make it crystal clear to the clergyman that he would not be getting any free drinks. So I'm assuming it was shut the F up. Yeah. Or words to that effect, basically. Being a man of God, the springy hose responded by throwing his drink in the barman's face and attempting to beat him about the head with the cup. Yeah, as God himself would have wanted. Oh, yes, you're Some talking tankard sort of things. Yeah. <laughs> this is this not a small glass for wine. This was like a tankard. It was a chiselled granite cup. <laughs> a full-on bath brawl. They, they, they all look like the, the, the mortars of a pestle mortar. <laughs> With about the same weight. Yeah. So a full-on bar brawl ensued between the town and the gown, spilling out into the street in front of the pub. Mayor and owner of the tavern, John de Bereford, because everyone was a do-something, uh, decided that the instigators of the brawl needed to be arrested in order to prevent yet another riot. And in order to achieve this, he ordered that the bell on St Martin's Church be rung in order to gain enough assistance from the local townspeople to break up the fighting and to take the students into custody. The students who had obviously started the altercation. And another weird symbol that has been injected with meaning... You know, at first it's the knocker, now it's the bell does some yeah, special we, ability. We ring the bell to rally. <laughs> the students are rioting again. And they ring go for the it because the, all they want is rule. <laughs> they want some structure. However, the magic bell. The university, Agreed! The university decided to respond in, in kind and it rang its own church bells in response, rallying the other students to protect their drunken and clearly guilty colleagues. To be fair... The Chancellor of the University did try to stop the students, but they fired arrows at him. <laughs> and he responded in the traditional manner of the like academic... falling over with arrows. <laughs> no, he Embedded. responded in the traditional and time-honoured uh, time manner of the academics of Oxford by running away and letting the students go wild. <laughs> I don't know if he ran to Cambridge. I don't know if he ran to Lincolnshire, but he got the hell out of there. No one saw him again. He ran, he ran out of history. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did my best. Time to retire now. Pitch battles took place through the day, with more arrows being fired on both sides. But amazingly, it was reported that there were no casualties. And as night fell, the violence eventually petered out and both sides withdrew. The next morning, the Chancellor and the Chief Magistrate got together. Uh, so someone, representative of the town, representative of the gown, both supposed to be in senior positions. They got together and issued a proclamation that no person should bear arms, assault anyone or otherwise disturb the peace. So they were going into lockdown. Imagine. 
Unfortunately for the students of Oxford, the town bailiffs didn't hear any of this, as they were busy arming people and summoning locals from the surrounding villages to act as reinforcements. They had had quite enough of the gowns getting away with their criminal behaviour and they were determined to engage in some good old-fashioned mob justice. Couldn't you easily get drawn into a mob? (laughs) Probably. Probably more easily than I'm willing to admit. Yeah! I mean, you love football. Yeah. And, I will and, and I, sport and and wrestling. I I have shouted things at a referee that really, when you think about it, he's just a man trying to do an impossible job. Because at any po- any given point, half of the people in that stadium probably think he's wrong, and I I now make a point of not doing it to try and catch myself. How intimidating he must feel! Can you imagine a thousand people shouting at you? I think there's a certain and perverse the, sense each of, of them power make it, as well. Anywhere you look, there's eye contact. Mm. <laughs> there must be a perverse sense of power going all of your rage and yet I'm still sending the fucker off yeah. ha 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 do something <laughs> yeah. I know he dived I'm still giving the penalty <laughs> so a group of 80 townspeople chased some students through the northern part of the town injuring a few and even managing to kill one before they were able to claim sanctuary at the Augustine Priory The bells ended up being rung again and the two sides rallied. Only this time, the students were aware that reinforcements were on the way for the townspeople, so they focused most of their energies on trying to barricade the city gates. I mean, are they like trained soldiers? None of these people are trained soldiers. This is a sloppy army. This is... I mean, I'm guessing that the, the sort of students had some idea of military strategy just based on the fact that, you know, they were brought up in that sort of noble class, but the mob was just... It's sort of a, mob, it's, mob it's a war of enthusiasm than skill. Uh, yeah, pretty right. much. I don't. There's I don't, no structure to like. There's no structure. There's no leaders. The no, it's just if you see someone from the opposite side, and there are more of you than them, wail on them. If there's more of them than you, run away until you find another group of us, and then we'll see or, what the numbers a, are like at that point. Special piece of metal. Yeah, <laughs> special piece of. Good, my special lump of iron. <laughs> now they'll learn. So yeah, they they were the, the students weren't really engaged in fighting at this point. They were desperately trying to barricade the gates so that approximately two thousand angry villagers from the surrounding area weren't able to enter the enter the town. Uh, and it may have been starting to dawn on them at this point that they finally pushed the locals too far. This would have been confirmed when the two thousand men managed to enter the town via the western gate, which they hadn't quite got round to barricading, carrying a banner. A very, a very good and informative banner that let everyone know what they were planning to do. The banner read, Havoc, havoc, smite fast, give good knocks. I think there's like... I like the fact that the they... Passage, t- the passage of time. Hmm? Um, something's been lost in translation. I'm oh, sure that'd scare the shit out of me. Back then. Well, the fact that they'd taken the time, being that most of these people were illiterate to sit down before they turned up to beat the shit out of you, to write a banner describing that they were going to beat the shit out of you, mm. shows you that they weren't going to be dissuaded particularly easily uh, from, from that course of action. No, you just, you just, you just get a sheet and s- smear it in shit and blood. <laughs> you know, you know if, you, if, you, if you really wanted to be intimidating. I mean, you don't know that it wasn't written in shit and blood. It could have You cover yourself in shit and blood. That's, that's going too far, man. Yeah. <laughs> 
now because you know you think that the rest of the mob's going to be in on it and then you slowly realize that well, they're it just all reads looking, shit and blood <laughs> they're all looking at you as you're smearing yourself and shame you're like nobody it's nobody not mine <laughs> you wouldn't be allowed in the mob you'd be the one person left in the village <laughs> to look after the horses it'd make you the referee <laughs> so uh the students they saw the sign. They were they were intimidated. Yeah. Whether something's been lost in translation or not, at that point, it was properly intimidating. And they decided to barricade themselves into their halls. But the mob were able to force themselves into five of them. Five of the halls. Eating all the food and killing and maiming any students that they found. Oh, God. After the mob had given up for the night, the authorities again proclaimed that they needed to stop hurting scholars and taking their things. The third day of the riot dawned to see the academics of Oxford again fleeing the town, bravely, this time to Woodstock, where the king was staying at the time, to ask for help. Mm. So it got so bad that they'd had to literally go to the king of Britain, or the king of England, yeah. um, to ask. Because, you know, the Scots were doing their own thing, the Welsh were doing their own thing at this time. Yeah. probably happier for it. Um, while they were busy negotiating with the king as to how they could stop the rioting, uh, 14 more hulls were sacked, with killed students being dumped in dung heaps and privies as a subtle reminder of what the locals thought of the university. Right. So, yeah. And this all stems from students killing townsfolk. Uh, That's well, where it all begins. Well, that was the sort of undercurrent, but this particular riot started with um, De Springy Hose oh, yeah. uh, trying to beat a barman because he wouldn't give him a free <laughs> oh, yeah. drink. Sorry. Uh, it had been fun for the locals... But by the end of the third day of writing, they realised that unlike the students, they had jobs to get back to and wives were probably wondering where the hell they were. Uh, so they had to go back and, you know, do the things that were needed to be done to keep the country going. Yeah. Uh, 30 townspeople and 62 students were dead. Do you want to try that again? <laughs> 62 students. <laughs> 30 townspeople and 62... <laughs> Perfect diction. So proud. Students were dead. But all previous riots had not resulted in any action against the perpetrators. So why should this one be any different? Ooh, twist. Unfortunately, the negotiations with Edward III had finished. And Edward did decide to get involved by asking a judge to make a proclamation once and for all as to who was in the wrong. Now, not surprisingly, the judge, probably Oxbridge educated... Uh, found in favour of the university. And if the decision is not surprising, the resulting punishment might be. The town of Oxford, as a whole, was fined at £330, which is the equivalent to around £350,000 today, bearing in mind this was quite poor relative, uh, you know, in comparison to the university. The mayor and the bailiffs of the town were sent to Marshalsea Prison to think about how they'd done bad on themselves and the Bishop of Lincoln decreed that the people of Oxford could not have any church services for an entire year including a ban on marriages and burials though how they enforced a ban on burials for a year I do not know it may be that just anyone who was unfortunate enough to die that year didn't have a Christian service at the graveside and they just had to unceremoniously dump them in. Seems like a grave overreaction. Well, no, no, no. They're not done. Finally, the town were forevermore... Ex- cremations. Yeah. Only. <laughs> the town were forevermore expected to pay an annual penance to the university of 63 pennies, 
one for each dead student and one for luck. Uh, the mayor... Which is 630 quid or something. I, I, I couldn't work out the pennies. It's not a lot, but it's more the, the fact that they're being forced to do this every year forevermore. Um, evermore. The mayor, head bailiff and 60 people of the town, so 62 again, had to attend a service at the University Church of St Mary the Virgin. How are they enforcing this, Jay? They had the king on their side. So they, they would the be whole, enforcing it. By. All the king's army and all king's men. Yeah, could could enforce it. Um, so they would have to attend this service at the church horses, in the university. King's horses. Yeah. Sorry. Um, to say they were very sorry for all the students who had died and they would pay a penny of them uh, for each of them to the university so they were forced to do this each year. Uh, the mayor also would have to wear a halter for the entire day to make sure it was extra humiliating. So the stuff you put on a horse, <laughs> they'd put on the mayor of Oxford. He's got the bit in his mouth. Um, really <laughs> but this this went on so this is you know the mayor who owned the pub you could say mm, fair enough he did order to them to ring the bell and that did lead to the pitch battles maybe mm-hmm. if it had just been a brawl it would have dissipated but this continued after he'd stopped being a mayor to the new mayor so any new mayor of Oxford knew that there would come a day each year when despite the fact that he'd you know <laughs> become the mayor of uh, quite an important town he would have to put on a halter, be paraded through town. And have horseshoes attached. Yeah. Um, this yearly display of power by the haves over the have-nots took place on St. Sil- Scholastica Day. St. Scholastica Day. Each year. St. Sil- Scholastica. Scholastica. Each day, each year, in order to make it clear that the king... All of the saints in heaven and God himself agreed that privileged students should have never had to face consequences for their actions. Though the practice did eventually end in 1825. Fuck off. So that's a a few years. Um, I should also point out that after this, um, a lot of the rules were changed. So that basically all the power in terms of trying people... Um, within the university it was all taken in-house so basically the town had no powers to arrest students it all had to be dealt with internally by the university and they were obviously very forgiving of the student population so the the entire criminal justice system in the town was forever skewed in favour of the gown as well as all of this as well so for the students of Oxford the 10th of February became a great excuse for a punch-up and multiple riots have occurred on this date over the centuries, proving that the learned men had in fact learned nothing. When was the last one? I don't know when the last one was. I don't think there's been one for a few years now. Where, when did um, having sex with a pig head come into this? <sighs> when was that ritual start? That's a different story. With We're going to have to go deep, deep, deep into the, the annals of... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the pig head. We're going to have to go deep into the annals of... Um, Privileged annals. <laughs> you have to get deep into the annals, Jack. <laughs> in 1955, the university decided to make amends with the town by giving the mayor, W. Gowers at the time, an honorary degree. And a, and a sponge pudding. An essentially meaningless gesture that cost them nothing and did not benefit the people of Oxford in the slightest. Currently, Oxford University is believed to be worth nearly £10 billion. Meanwhile, in 2019, it was estimated that 29% of the children in the town of Oxford live below the poverty line. I'm sure that the students of 14th century would agree that this is exactly how things should be. 
And that is the story went political right of the, the St. Scholastica, St. Scholastica Day riot. I didn't go political, that's just two facts. Oxford University is worth over £10 billion and a third... Full stop. A third near enough of the children who live in the town that's, att- you know, that's attached to the university live below the poverty line. Seems a bit odd, that, doesn't it? It's, it's, it just it runs in the veins of this country, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. It's no surprise that this started during Norman times as well. Yeah. But there you go. That's the story, tangentially, of how Oxford and Cambridge were founded and also the story of privilege, I guess, in a nutshell. Well, with uh, intelligentsia and oh, yeah. the... Um, what, the what does Orwell call the poor? Proletariat. <laughs> what is Orwell? I like the fact that you didn't go for like Marx or Engels. It's oh, is it? That's George, got... George Orwell. That's yeah. my. Well, I haven't read Marx. How can you even call yourself a Northerner? You're not even a member of a union. I'm, I'm worried about you. What union would I join? Anyone can join Unison. Honestly, they'll take anyone. <laughs> <laughs> They'll even take animals now, I hear. Uh, no, I'm, I'm a member of a union, obviously. I have to be. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, I need the indemnity insurance. Yeah, I'm a very bad nurse. Um, but there you go, yeah. I just thought it'd that be was wonderful. interesting as, as a yeah. fellow university alumnist. I mean, that pretty much sums up my uh, university uh, Just a series experience. of riots. Yeah. And getting More internally. <laughs> a series of internal <laughs> rights where I beat myself up. <laughs> and then humiliating myself <laughs> on the basis while wearing a halter. <laughs> but a halter neck top in your case. Yeah, ringing bells. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> to me, my men! To me! I was escorted out of the church and told I was not allowed back. <laughs> yeah. Story, Actually, yeah. the local church that Emma goes to, I said the local one, the one that Emma goes to in Torres Home, the, um, it doesn't have a peal of bells. There is a single bell. Yeah. And the string just comes down into the main room. And there's like one person, if you sit in it, it's a bit like, you know, when you're on a plane and you've got to agree that if you're sat by the jump seat with oh, the door that you... have got to be the guy to... Yeah, that if you sit on a certain pew at the end... That the, the string comes down, it's kind of tied around a little thing, and you have to be the person who will ring the bell to let people know the service is about to start. So you've That's got amazing. to. Amazing. And there are, I swear. People fight for that seat. People, people love it. People love that seat. If you get that seat, you get to sit there, and you're like, I'm, I'm part of the service. <laughs> Dingalingaling, I'm important. And you can see the look of sort of jealous rage impotent jealous rage from some of the people who obviously had designs on having that seat that week just looking at him like next week i'm getting here at six in the morning i don't care that the service starts at 11 i will sit on this hard wooden pew for five hours just so i can have that doesn't matter there's always someone who's it'll go a bit further than you that's true you turn up at 4 30 there's someone there at at four o'clock well i've i've learned that we're, we're with the COVID thing, we've got to queue outside of swimming to get into um, my daughter's swimming class. Yeah. Um, and what I was doing at first, because I was, you know, I'm quite an anxious person. I don't know if you noticed that about me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would get there and I would be first in the queue and we would stand there in the cold and the wet. And then after a couple of weeks of doing this, you know, because I wanted to make sure that I didn't miss it and get in. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm going to miss the lesson. I'm gonna, right. We can only, we can only have one of you now. Yeah. 
we've changed it. It's one-on-one lessons. But like, if you're going to get on a roller coaster mm. and it gets to the point where it's like, and then and then the rope goes across you, and you're like, no, and you're like, oh, now I've got to wait a bit longer. Yeah, wait another two minutes. <laughs> But then I, I sort of realised that I'm putting this stress I'm on myself for three. and I'm stood in the cold and Evie's getting worked up and there's no benefit to it. I'm still getting exactly the same amount of pool time. Yeah. So we sat in, I sort of forced myself to stay sat in the car and we listened to some music. It was, um, I think it was Idols, Model Village. Great song, great band from Bristol. Listen. Um, and we were listening and we were bopping away in the car and there's only limited swearing in the song so it's okay, Evie's probably not going to pick it up. And we watched all the other people queuing and huddling and it was raining and it was lashing against the things. And then the little lady with the clipboard to make sure you didn't have COVID came and opened the door. And by the time we'd got out of the car and walked to the back of the queue, the queue had dissipated and we were straight into the building. And I was just yeah. like, how much easier is it when you just, when you just don't force it, force it when you just, yeah, yeah. oh, look, all of those people who've queued for no reason. There's no limit. We've all paid for this class. It's not first come, first served. It's, yeah, you've turned up. Of course you can come in. You've, yeah, you paid us for this. Yes, great. And that attitude is why Black Friday doesn't work in England. <laughs> oh, it does. I've I've already saw the pre-deals. Nah, it's not the same. Oh. You find yourself, seriously, do I need this? Do I, do I need a new vacuum cleaner? The answer is no, but at those prices. You do. It's disgraceful yours. We keep it well cleaned. That, that's lasted longer than any. When do you cut this out? When do we leave? <laughs>